Welcome back to Unplug It. It was another week, another opportunity missed. The inability to play consistent football across four quarters has plagued us on so many occasions this season. This was just another that so St Kilda performance outplayed and just barely in it throughout the first half and then putting together a withering burst of real football to take the lead in the third quarter only to concede four goals to nil in the last to bottle it once again. We lost 9-12-66 to the Lions, 12-9-81. We are without Darren Parkin again this week, so we've got our old friend Philip Daladakis off the bench. But before I throw to you, Phil, H, you and I were sitting in the uh, the hoity-toity area, the Medallion Club on Friday night, and even that couldn't soothe the uh, the feeling of disappointment. That's an elevated view of terrible football, I guess you could call it. Um, it was, yeah, just just... Not not fun to watch when you you basically put your hands in your head when your forwards take a mark inside fifty. There's just there was just no confidence on the night. Thinking, well, it's one of these eventually going to go through, and uh, which player might actually stand up and kick one finally? Or yeah, as one point you lost your mind thinking, well, the wrong player is taking the mark and that sort of thing, and it's just. Yeah, it was, it was just that frustrating. We had every opportunity to beat a top four bound team and hurt their finals at the same time as helping ours. And yeah, we just we can look back now and go, well, it it was our fault. We we are the reason we have missed now. It's nothing. We can't really blame much more. We can't really. Well, we well could still blame the Port Adelaide loss as well. That was pretty well our fault too, but. Yeah, the other results that have gone against us now, we sort of can't sit there and go, well, we couldn't help ourselves, so they couldn't really help us either. Phil, you've whinged and moaned your way back onto the show. Uh, an incredible display of fragility and setting a wonderful example to all the kids out there who think that they need to work hard and good things will come. You have bitched and moaned your way back to this show. Uh, how, what was your take on Friday night's performance yeah well before uh we get on to that uh, it is fair to say i feel like leo Connolly here uh <laughs> you know show, showing all the promise uh getting the odd game demonstrating i deserve to be uh in the first team uh and then no explanation at all uh i keep uh getting uh getting passed over for other people but look we'll put that aside uh nick thanks for uh mentioning the war don't mention the war uh, but, look, Friday night, I think H just said it best, right? Just same old, same old, isn't it? And inability to convert. I think what I said very succinctly, and I'll stop on this because uh, otherwise Paco will get angry because I just keep going and going, which was the effort was there. And, you know, I couldn't be prouder of the effort. And as a supporter, that's, you know, I reckon – if we put that effort in, nine times out of ten, we win most games. And uh, the execution wasn't. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Max King and and his six points uh, and and the lack of execution. But it wasn't just him. Uh, Membry missed in the last. Winhager from 30 out on an angle. You know, so the problem, of course, is that when, when one misses, it tends to sort of go through the team, which we've seen uh, time and time again. But, you know, I still think we've won one more game than we did last year. We had uh, a number of injuries in the second half of the year and 
of course, mathematically, we're still a chance. Yeah, we, we are still a chance. It was, it was funny, H. You, you mentioned, Phil, that the effort. And, and I, I think you're right. I, I think I said to you, H, about 20 minutes into the first quarter, I think we, we were down by a goal or two at that stage already. But I think I said to you, they're having a crack. They're having a real crack. And you could tell that they, they were putting it out there. Um, but it was just that decision-making and execution that that we've seen over the second half of, of this season that has been lacking in so many key moments. And you mentioned um, that, that comment that I made to you about the wrong person, the wrong player taking the mark. I think it was that that Windhager miss uh, in the last quarter or late in the third. Mark, uh, last quarter, marked in front of um, Sharman. That's yep. right. Sharman, Cooper Sharman was standing right next to him and uh, they were both empty, both free players and, and Windhager took the mark and obviously missed the shot. And I think, as I said, as, as he was lining up for goal, I said, I wish this was Cooper Sharman taking this shot. Um, because he's such a better, you know, he's a better option um, in terms of kicking for goal. He's a great kick for goal, and and we haven't seen he, that out, out of Windhager yet. He's the forward in that situation. That's, he, right. that's the reason he was there. Not that's right. Um, I mean, as good a kick as Windhager is in that situation, you'd probably rather it in Sharman's hands. That's um, right, and and I think is, just... and we're not saying and we're not saying this after the fact. You basically said it as soon as. He's taken the mark, so it's something to sort of rode the whole way there. Yeah, it's one. Of, it's just one of those things. Like it's it's little things. I mean, yes, you're happy for anybody to take an uncontested mark in the forward line and have a shot at goal. Of course, that's great. That means you've done something right. But the flip side is that there were two of them there, and we went the wrong option, or they went the wrong option. And and I think that's just kind of indicative of the way that we play football at the moment is that. A lot of the time, the effort is there, and and sometimes that goes missing, and and we are sorely found out when that happens. But interestingly, in in this one for for this game, we won most of the major metrics with or without the ball. I mean, we won the disposals, both kicking and handballs. Uh, we took more marks. We went inside fifty more. We had the the rubber, the green with the free kicks. Generally, overall stoppage numbers were all in our favour. But I mean, Phil, how do you what what's the remedy here, um, Matthew Lloyd? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to pour uh, oil on the fire. That, I mean, that, that was definitely tongue-in-cheek. Look, <clears throat> I think, uh, I mean, Rat said in the press conference that, you know, some of it is technique, some of it is exhaustion, some of it is mental. So just got to keep working at it. And, you know, he said that I think there were 30 shots during the week he came to... Marvel Stadium by himself and did kick 27-3. But, again, were those 30 shots after he did four 100-metre sprints and was exhausted and testing his technique and uh, his physical um, attributions at that point? Look, he's a fantastic player and everyone can see the talent and, yes, there are areas of his game that he needs to work on. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, spit our dummy, et cetera. Uh, and there will be times that he kicks six goals too, or maybe he'll even kick eight goals straight. And so I'm not hard on him in that respect, but uh, I think, uh, Nick, I, I said to you earlier today, and I certainly mentioned this to another one of your, our, well, our guests recently, uh, Francis Leach, where we had lamented the fact that in, in watching the game, it didn't appear to us that any senior players had, or, or any players, in fact, had got around Max to just tell him, take his time, don't worry about the last one, we'll get the next one, 
And if you missed the next one, don't worry about that one. You'll get the one after and you're at least presenting and getting the opportunity, which is, you know, first and foremost, the critical uh, response. And and we were disappointed in that. And then, of course, what happens 24 hours later, uh, Nick Rewalt uh, says the same on uh, on the couch. So, uh, Rui, well done for uh, sneaking a, a look at my private text messages. But, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure that, that we need to we need to be overtly critical of of Max King, because as I said, uh, um, Tim Membry, Winhager, others also missed at that point in time, and and of course, can we not reflect on the fact that they scored three goals over the back in that fourth quarter, uh, and allowed some of our defence to be found wanting as well. Is there nothing that the great Nick Rewalt cannot do? He, he can obviously play football. He has beautiful children, a beautiful wife, and a great family. And now he's uh, hacking former MPs' mobile phones and taking the text <laughs> messages. What an, what an incredible career this guy's had. Um, I, I guess, I mean, now that we're on, on to Max King, I think there, there's a couple of points that we can probably touch on. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, it, it, for us to, to do this responsibly, I think we have to, I guess, share the blame doesn't solely rest on Max King. There are a number of players that also missed very easy and kickable shots at goal on, on Friday night. But it, I, I think that the club has to, to share some of the blame here and, and some of the responsibility in how to fix this issue. Um, you, you mentioned before, you know, he's had 30 shots at goal at, at Marvel and kicked 27-3. But how does that help? In game time, it, it it doesn't. And there's a number of things that a number of experts have brought up, you know, whether it's Lloyd or any other goal kickers, Jason Dunstall over the last 18 months has has said, you know, his piece on on various TV and radio shows. Um and the, the other thing is on game day, what is the club doing to support Max King? And one of the things, far be it for me to, to call Kane Corns an export an expert, but um you know, one of the the examples that he brought up was whenever Geelong aren't playing well, um, you know, something breaks down in their structure or system or, uh, or whatever it is that uh, the coaches, the footy department are out at the next break with the laptops showing the players who, who, who did the wrong thing, who made the mistake, who fluffed it or whatever, showing them the mistake and showing them how to get better. When Max King is missing shots of goal and he's, he's clearly stressed and is tense and, you know, he's flipping the ball around and doing a whole bunch of things. He's walking in super slow and, and trying to, like, every single kick is, is a different routine uh, or, or zero routine. Um, where are the coaches and where where is the staff going out to calm him down and say, mate, settle down, walk in straight and just kick it? Like, where where are these guys showing him what he's doing wrong on game day? Not You have to trust that they're doing stuff during the week to try and rectify these issues. But what are they doing on game day to actually settle him down and make sure that he's in the right mindset and and frame of mind and all that sort of stuff to 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 get him right i guess during the game because we all know that training at Morabin on a tuesday or a thursday is incredibly different to playing at marvel on a friday night for, for so many reasons um but i guess it's it's not all doom and gloom we, we know that it hasn't been the season that we all thought it was potentially going to be about 10 weeks ago but there are some other young players outside of max king who have shown a bit we've seen windhager We've seen Mitch Owens do a bit, Naziah Wanganin, Miller. We saw Jack Hayes at the, the start of the year. I mean, there there is enough to get excited about H. Oh, absolutely, and um, I think we 
went through a lot of that last week is uh, who we've got coming through in the team, who basically we need to play football and get him in playing together because that is the core that's going to take us forward. Get that core together. Get them playing together. I mean, we've seen what they can all do already. And another of them we're picking before senior players at the moment. And that and that's the um that, that's the big up of them that they're they're almost automatic inclusions. Windhager, you would not drop. Um Owens has almost got to a point where you go, he should be in the team. Wangan Malira was at that stage as well. He's obviously haven't played a couple of name, games now, but um but at the same time, you don't you wouldn't be dropping Max King either. So he's in that group as well. And we've only got a couple of players who are going to probably drop off. But that group that we've got is, it's basically a group that we'll move forward with. Wood. Um, yeah, you got all these names that you, like he popped up on the, on the weekend and probably one of the reasons why we're probably still in the match in the last quarter. That, just, just getting that core group together, playing consistent football. Let let's let's make sure that that this is what happens. We don't want to lose any of them. Keep them playing. Just keep them playing week in, week out. First game next year. Let let's have an average age of about twenty three. That that would be fantastic, because that that's about the point you launch from at, at a flag contention. The, I think the average age over the last twenty years has been like twenty four and a half or something. So it's a that's it, a launching point for us. Get a year, year and a half into them, and there. But we hopefully, hopefully we don't drop off again. And yeah, work with what we got, and we'll just get. We're talking about Max. Let get his head right. I, I think. His issue is he's possibly overthinking things. There's, there's, he's getting the ball. There's no, there's no confidence in not getting the ball. He's just a little bit overthinking it, I think, and and that's what is happening. He's just got to get his head in the game. And as we've been saying many, many times, he could tear many teams apart if he wanted to, but he's just got to get his head in the game and get it right. So you you say he's overthinking it. I wonder whether he's not thinking it enough because uh, on each of his approaches, he had a different approach. On some approaches, they were short, some they were longer, some he spun the ball, some he kept the ball still. And, and so for me, uh, that indicates somebody that's not confident in the, the, the setup. And, you know, I, because I'm naturally so much older than both of you, uh, remember the early part of Stuart Lowe's career where, you know, every time he grabbed the ball, you were like, I hope someone's running past for him to hand pass it off to. And then the big change when Peter Hudson uh, spent all the time getting his technique right. And then by the end of his career at the club, we were hopeful that he was the one having the set shot for goal because he had his routine. Uh, he had it down pat. And, and of course that routine uh would would see him through kicking more goals than points, uh, which differentiated the beginning part of his career. And so 
I I wonder whether and and you know I do this with my golf swing that when I'm trying to rebuild my golf swing, uh, when I don't hit a good shot, I go back to the old swing, and 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 the answer is not to do that. The answer is to still stick with what you're working on. The problem, of course, is in the the heat of game time, uh, you can become susceptible, and, and and so that's that's where you know obviously the discussion around. Uh, Matthew Lloyd or somebody else comes into to Vogue because they just need to settle on a routine, and that's what I want to say. I want to, oh, and I want to see him um, if it's if it's a twelve step routine, always have a twelve step routine. If it's five meters, if it's fifteen meters, or if it's like Ben Brown and he's going the Flemington straight, well, that's fine. Whatever works, just have something that you can repeat and repeat. And repeat. I think that's one of the things I saw uh, Matthew Lloyd on the Sunday Footy Show talking about all of the things that I guess need to be rebuilt in in Max King's goal kicking routine. And it, it it wasn't just the flipping the ball around. There was a bunch of things like you know, he doesn't move through the ball fast enough. He walks in super slow, and so there's no momentum in his kicking action. Uh, he leans back on his kick because he's he doesn't have the pa- the speed or power. He leans back to try and get a bit more momentum through his leg, uh, which then pulls the ball one way or another. And th- so there were a range of things that that need to be fixed. But I think you're right, Phil, in that ultimately for him, what he needs to do is have enough confidence in his routine, whatever that is. And not everybody's routine is the same. You've mentioned Ben Brown, but you look at Josh Kennedy, one of the, the greatest goal kickers of this generation you know, in modern football. His his routine was incredibly strange. It's stuttering run-up. Um, it looked bizarre. It seemed bizarre but it was incredibly effective and it never changed. Um, that was his routine. As weird as it looked, it never changed and he did what had to be done and he kicked a shit ton of goals. And Max King is arguably a more talented, better player than Josh Kennedy uh, for a number of reasons. He, he's more athletic. He's probably a better contested mark, um, you know, better, better, stronger hands, etc. But he's got to get this kicking stuff under control because it, it can ruin his career. It has the ability to ruin his career, and he's too good to let that happen. H. So where I was saying in the way of overthinking, is I think he's thinking of the result before he's doing his um, like thinking about the, what the routine is to get to that point. So he's he's overthinking, thinking I've, I've got to kick the goal. That's that's sort of where I'm coming at with that. Is you've as you're saying, you've got to do to get the routine right to get the result right. But it does just seem to me that he's, he's got it gone ahead of where he should be thinking we're under pressure. I've got to kick this. And that, and that's sort of where it's got into his head. And he's thinking about that too much. And just there, yeah, he always got to be thinking out is okay. I go back, I walk in, I watch the ball into my boot, which is one thing that he seemed to not, not do so great. Um, he sort of was looking at the target rather than watching the ball onto the boot. And yeah, just go back and do what you should be the best at the, the best part of your game should be this goal kicking. And yeah, once he gets into his mind that that's what I've got to do every single time, then it will come to him. And I, we saw it in Adelaide. We saw him kick. Was it five goals from five kicks or something? And six, six yeah. straight. I think he kicked that. Night. Six, yeah, six from six kicks. It, it's, I mean, that, that that's minimal 
opportunity, you can't have less kicks to kick six goals. He was 100% perfect on that night. And so, then we yeah, and we see on Friday night the total opposite. So it, it's not like he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And that and that's our thing. We need to say you can do it, Max. You know what you've got to do. Don't just stop that thinking about what what's happening around you. Just do what you need to do to kick it. So let's just turn let's flip it now, 180, and talk about how awesome it was that he had six shots, how awesome it was that he had some amazing contested marks and contested play and second efforts to to be able to get into position where he was able to snap for goal, uh, et cetera, and, and focus on the positives there because I would rather a guy um, have six shots and play a game like he did than have some other passengers playing some bruise-free football uh, and, uh, you know, we haven't spent any time on them, but, you know, that's human nature as well. And so, Max, if you're, if you're listening or if any of your family or friends do, mate, don't stop doing what you're doing. We're just talking about how to make you incrementally even better. And how to make you even more unbeatable. That's probably the way to do it because, yeah, as, you, as we're saying, it, he's got no problem getting it. There is absolutely no problem getting it. He's probably the best player above 195 centimetres at ground level. There's no players who, at their feet, are better than him at that height. He's got that unbeatable, I guess, he's that sort of unbeatable player if he's switched on on the night. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see it more often, that's for sure. So... Yeah, I mean, if that's what we've seen in the first few years of his career, we, we are really going to expect big things coming up. I think it's it's it is important to remember the the good things that he does. I mean, he's he's what 22, 21, and he's had ninety shots on goal this year. Um, he's second in the league for contested marks. Uh, I think he's got the most contested marks inside fifty. I think in the league or second in in that metric too. So this kid can play like he can seriously play football, but it's this one, this one thing that lets him down. Um, and no footballer is perfect, right? There's no perfect footballer that does everything at an elite level. It just, that, that player doesn't exist. But th- if he can fix this one area of his game, that's the thing that elevates him from a very good player to a superstar. Like that's, that's the difference. And and he could be sitting on, 70 goals and we're not having this discussion. He could be sitting on 80 goals. We're not having this discussion. Uh, but he's kicked 47, 41 for the year. And, you know, when you're having that amount of shots um, and you have that sort of unbeatable talent that you guys have, have both mentioned in terms of finding the ball, getting the ball and getting into position to have shots of goal, you, you, you do, I guess, expect a better conversion rate. And for us to be a, a force moving forward, you know, I think, our entire team and our football department and all our fans are entitled to, to expect better in that regard. But you, you're right. I think it's it, it's wrong of us to not remember some of those things when there's one of these big things that's kind of staring us in the face that we've got to, we've got to look back at these things that he does really, really well um, because that's the, the hallmark of his game. I guess, Phil, you talked about other players and, and some of the other things, and we might, we might talk about some of those things, um, a little bit later in the show when we start looking at the Sydney game. But I guess to 
to wrap up this one, um, some votes and and honourable mentions. H, what have you got to to kick us off? Um, well, Greg Parko's ones just firstly he he's sent him into us. Um, just a, a quick rundown for him. Um, he gave yeah one to one to Wilkie, two to Ross, and three his best on ground was Wood. Um, I've got a few different ones in there, so I've actually gave one to Ron Marshall. I thought his work in the middle was huge. He, he, he it was up against probably one of the form Ruckman in the league. Um, and his, his clearance work off his own rucking was it was quite brilliant at times. Um, he, he was, I, I don't think I've seen a Ruckman do it that much in a game, except for the likes of probably Max Gorn. Uh, the player and the managers get the pl- the ball out of the ruck themselves and then put it straight into our forward 50, which he, for the first half, I, I think I lost count of how many times he actually did that. Um, doing the same thing, clearing out the back line as well. It's his work against um, Big Oscar was, it, it was really good on the night. Um, he, a couple of quiet patches where he sort of dropped off a little bit, which probably... Yeah, it was a bit, I guess, in the last quarter, it was maybe a little bit quieter than what he had been all the rest of the night. But otherwise, yeah, he, he was had a really, really solid night. Um, two to the wind tagger. Um, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant shutdown job, that one was. So um, get Brownlow favourite, looking for a couple of late-season votes to try and get him over the line, get himself over the line and... The you could just see the frustration on the on him and his teammates around him because they, they the amount of times I saw someone trying to stand between Neil and Windhager and stop him basically hanging off the back of him like and I'm not saying hanging off the back of him by holding him he was legally just keeping him away from the ball that uh, we got to remember I don't I don't think we had a there was no holding free kicks against him all night, I don't believe. Um, no, he had four four frees, four and none against, I think. Yeah, so that's as good as you can do. It's, I think the free kicks came from opponents being frustrated from him yeah, getting to the ball first after keeping Neil away from it. So the yeah, the, nomi- the Rising Star nomination, well overdue, but well-deserved at the same time. Um, it, it was probably... You look back now and go, yeah, it's probably the week that he actually probably deserved it more than any other week. Mm. Um, and three, they gave to Mason Wood as well. Um, he 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 just found the ball up forward, and yeah, I mean, four goals and just he he kept us in the game. And there's a couple, I think probably three of the goals he kicked were at points where Brisbane had been beating us for 10, mm. 15 minutes, and he's popped up and oh, not on the easiest angles or the or the simplest kicks. A bomb from outside 50, a snap from about 45. He, he did it from everywhere. So, and around the ground, he did the, gave plenty of service. So, yeah, he, he out his best game for us by an absolute mile. And, yeah, it's just showed that what he can provide us um, and, He's probably one of those players that we keep in the team just to make sure that yeah we're moving forward as big as a group together as I was saying before. Phil, what have you got for us? 
Uh, not too different. So three votes, uh, Mason Wood was just an outstanding uh, game, which is what you need uh, from from players like Mason who are anywhere between 10 to 22 on that list in terms of uh, their performance, but their performance then lifts them, lifts them up to, you know, top three. That's where you win games of football. Uh Jack Steele, from memory, had about 13 possessions, was kept really quiet on the night. And so um, that's going to happen from time to time. I mean, we, we're talking about the job that Windhager did on uh, on Neil and uh, what a tremendous job uh, it was. And, and that wasn't to say that Lockie Neal had a poor game, but he had a poor game by his standards. And 13 possessions for Jack Steele is a very poor game by his standards. So, so three votes to to Mason Wood. Uh, uh, two votes uh, I gave to Brad Crouch, and it was a toss up. This is kind of funny because it was a toss up between him and Seb Ross, and I've got a bit of a fan crush developing on Seb Ross uh, this year because I think he's been tremendous. In fact, I think it's been his best year of football at the Saints, uh, and given that. Uh, I've heard him talk about um, some of the lack of sleep as a result of uh, his uh, newborn. Well, if 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 that's what it takes, uh, we should keep him up next year as well. So you about to say he'd have another. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, there is that too. And then one, even though I thought Seb Ross could easily have got the two votes, I'm giving one vote to Windhager as well. Uh, and I thought that you know he's been outstanding for three weeks now. Uh, he's had a great season, and he he has de- deserved the uh, Rising Star nomination on each of the last three weeks, but been pipped by uh, performances that other people deemed were superior. And and I, I want to challenge that right now because the the people that he's played on and beaten, uh, Jai Newcomb uh, at Hawthorne, uh, obviously uh, Lockie Neal, and then uh, three Tim weeks Kelly. ago. What's that? Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly. Yeah, Tim Kelly. Right. And these are all guys that have big bodies and they've they're seasoned, uh, they're seasoned footballers. So for him as a first year to come in, and I know that he's he's well developed himself, but that doesn't give you the edge and it doesn't give you the experience that the, the way that he's done it. And and the thing that's impressed me most about his game is not that he's locked down. People have missed this this week in talking about his Rising Star nomination. It wasn't that he locked down on uh, on uh, Lockie Neal. It was that he locked down on Lockie Neal and was so creative for us going forward. And, and, you know, that is what I'd love people to focus on when looking at his last three weeks because he stopped his opponent but was quite offensive uh, in in his own movement of the ball going forward uh, and also the metres gained and his possessions as well. So, you know, I, I think that's a, a tremendous uh, attribute for him to be getting. And, and also, let's be clear, the coaches for giving him that opportunity uh, and saying, mate, you run with them, this is your job to stop them, but it's also your job to create. And, and at a time when we can also forget to... Uh, to praise uh, moves that the coaches may, I, I think that needs to be uh, identified as well. Very well said. I've gone pretty similar uh, to both of you and, and Parker, I guess, to some extent. But H, 
I'm exactly the same as you. I've given some honourable mentions to Sebros. I thought he was fantastic again. As you said, Phil, I think this has been his best year for a long time. And and I think I mentioned last week or the week before that I feel like his football now is better than uh, you know, in his best and fairest winning seasons. Uh, I gave another honourable mention to Brad Crouch and Jack Sinclair. I thought they were both very good. And Jared Lynott, I thought, was a bit of a quiet achiever. I thought he, he did a bit of everything for us. Uh, it took some intercept marks. He he was creative off halfback. Uh, even went into the ruck a couple of times around the ground, and and just you know, it's one of those one of those players we talk about the the Jason Blake Award, and and Jared Lynott has that ability to play multiple roles and and fill gaps, you know, as we need. But I gave one vote to Rowan Marshall. Twenty touches, forty two hitouts, seven clearances. Uh, you mentioned his clearance work. Uh, H, I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, and has really come into his own as the number one ruck. And you know, I think I was I was pretty nervous early in the year about what what our future looks like with Rowan as our number one ruck, as opposed to with a legitimate tap ruckman and Rowan being that kind of combo ruck forward. But you know, he's answered every one of those questions over the last five or six weeks. He's been amazing, and uh, you know, I would be while I'd be loath to lead, to, to to lose Paddy Ryder. Um, yeah, I think that Rowan Marshall's ready to be a, a number one ruck. Two votes, Marcus Windhager, for all those reasons that you guys have mentioned already. 21 touches, five clearances, one Lockie Neal in his pocket and a Rising Star nomination is a pretty decent night out. And three votes to Mason Wood. This is the second week in a row I've given three votes to Mason Wood. Another 15 touches at 80% disposal efficiency. Three intercepts, doing it all up and down the wing. Um, incredibly creative, but also doing some of the, um, the hard work that I don't think you, you tend to Notice with Mason Wood, a lot of hard running uh, and obviously the four goals that kind of kept us in it uh, at, at really opportune moments, uh, a really dynamic forward option and uh, gave us a lot of a lot of ball movement off off the wing and uh, an option up forward as well. So that just about wraps up uh, the Lions game. Our guest this week had his own trials and tribulations in a, a short career with St Kilda, but his Kicking for goal routine and accuracy was not one of them. A talk, of course, of Ahmed Saad. Martin is 19, Saints have kicked the only four goals of the match. They have been dangerous when they've got it in there, and they are again. Saad, Mills already kicked three. The Red Pat have started well. He runs in and puts it through for another. Weaves some magic to Saad, he drops it. Looked like he'd done well again, Pat Full, but Montagna got the ball forward. Nudging slightly on the ball to him, comes back, step by Saad, gathers, thought about the bounce around the corner, this would be life. Yeah, let's have a look at this from Saad, just a little funny little bounce coming up here, look at that one, it's like a little basketball bounce, he makes something out of nothing there, and that's what you have to do. Well, I guess this week had, I guess you could call it an unconventional career in, in the AFL. Uh, and we, we've spoken a bit about Max King in the uh, the last few weeks and months and, and his kicking style. And one thing that we never really had to worry about was the routine of Ahmed Saad lining up for goal. Ahmed, thanks for joining us. Nah, no worries at all. I had to give you guys a break, get to go to the toilet, get a coffee, 
Um, <laughs> give my teammates a rest as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, good times. I, I guess before before we hand over to to, uh, to the other guys, I wanted to ask you about your your kicking style and routine and the uh, incredibly long run ups that that you were known for. But where did that come from? Um, well, because I started footy late, I started at 16 and I couldn't drop pine. And I remember my first year of footy, you know, as a forward, because I used to play soccer and I used to play in the forward line when I played soccer. So I loved kicking goals. So I thought, then I've transitioned to footy. I played forward, kicked some goals as well. And um, I figured that in my first couple of games, I'd, you know, if I took a mark and have a shot, I never really kind of had a routine. And um, spoke to my uncle who had a very similar routine to mine, but his is only like 13 steps. Um, you know, walks and then the last couple of steps get that momentum and and then I tried to do that but I just found myself just kept walking, 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 walking until I felt comfortable to kick and I guess for me it was just more about, you know, how can I minimise dropping the ball awkwardly on my foot, um, I need to make sure I kicked it straight, so I kept my body straight so, you know, initially I tried to keep it really basic um, when I first started and yeah, just ended up walking a long way to kind of get there but um, luckily it worked, otherwise I would have had to change it pretty quickly because yeah, kind of copped a little bit of bit of heat on it, but I think um, yeah, it worked. So I actually could back it up, which helped. Luckily, I was going to say, um, take us through your early career because you were born in Australia, but then moved away and and then yeah. came back later later on. So did did you have interest in football when you were at that younger age before you moved away as well? No, nah, not really, man. Um, I yes, when I was I was born here and when I was eight years old, I moved to Egypt and, and obviously in Egypt, um, you know, soccer's like religion over there. So um and up until then never really, never really played football and um when I got to Egypt I played soccer like everyone else did and, and then when I got back when I was fourteen, I thought yeah, I'd continue to play soccer because that's all I kinda knew. Um, you know, for about two years, didn't really work out, um, didn't enjoy it as much. I uh, couldn't get to training anymore. My family moved houses, moved suburbs. I moved schools, so I had to make new friends. And all my mates at school played at the club across the road from my house in the school, which was Roxbury Park, and they needed numbers for the under-16s team. And like I said, at that time, I could not even drop pine or even, you know, watch a lot of footy then. Um, but I thought there's a way to stay connected with these guys and, you know, continue to have friends outside of school and stay fit as well and just walk across the road to fill in the numbers and, and continue to play sport because – that's all I loved, you know, growing up. And, um, yeah, luckily enough, yeah, that's pretty much how my journey started, really. So in terms of your, your run-up, yeah. have you sent a letter to to uh, Ben Brown telling him that unless he pays you royalties, he's not allowed to uh, <laughs> stop you? Yeah, he pays me royalties. So every set shot he takes, I get 10 bucks. Um, but, <laughs> um, no, nah, his one's very similar. It's pretty long, but he runs a fair bit, I think. Um, so... It's not as fun, you know, it's pretty selfish, doesn't get everyone a break. At least I walked, so everyone got an opportunity to get a rest, go to the toilet, like I said, get a quick coffee. Um, I was kind of selfless that way. Now, in terms of your career, uh, you've got two young sons and uh, I, I I just know that uh, they're going to be superstars, but we're not going to be able to draft them because you didn't get to 100 games with St Kilda. <laughs> with, with your career finishing the way that it did, uh, were there any clubs that came to you? Was there any talk about possibly playing at a different AFL club? Um, initially, obviously, when I got drafted to the Saints, yeah, I, was, I went to the draft combine like a lot of the players did and spoke to a lot of clubs then. That was a normal process. And um, But after I got back, when I was banned, um, you know, for the 18 months, I had a few clubs reach out then and, and have a chat to me. I actually got a commitment from a club um, that they were going to pick me up 
Um, and I, um, yeah, the, the Saints obviously picked me up. And then I didn't stay at the Saints, um, which I was happy to go back to. And um, But then third time around, like after I kind of got the list at the end of that year, again, I spoke to some clubs. A couple of things just didn't go my way. A player didn't retire when it was meant to. Um, they ended up picking another club, ended up picking a player similar to me in that position. So a lot of things didn't fall my way, which was, which was totally fine. Um, and I was obviously old enough by then to understand how it works and went back to play VFL for one more year just to give it another crack and, um, you know, I thought that year I had a pretty good year. I won the VFL goal kicking team of the year. Um, you know, I was playing on AFL forward listed so backmen every week in the VFL and, you know, I was kicking goals on them. So I thought I gave myself the opportunity, but yeah, it just wasn't meant to be and um, possibly my age might have played a factor or other things, but I was pretty content um, with, you know, how obviously would have loved to have a 10, you know, to 15 year career like everyone would. Um, but I was very grateful that I got to play AFL footy when a lot of people haven't, and I still got to live my dream a little bit. Yes, it was uninterrupted, unfortunately, but I guess that was just how my life was meant to play out. I'm sure we'll circle back to the uh, the band a, a little bit later on, and and we might drill you a little bit harder about some of those clubs and some of those <laughs> other conversations that, uh, that Phil's just asked about. But I, I do want to ask you about something that happened early in your career, and the story goes that you would never have been an AFL player unless your mum, we see a very good ethnic, you know, Egyptian mother forced you to get down to the Northern Bull Ants and, and uh, run into a, a training session without an invitation. Yeah, so, yeah, that's spot on. So I had a friend who actually got an invite that I played with at, Rox- at Roxbury Park um, and he got an invite to the Bull Ants and I thought, well, I feel like I'm better than this guy and he got the invite and I didn't. Um, and he didn't go for the first, I was waiting for him to go. So I was like, I'll go with him. And then I could potentially ask if I get a training session. And he didn't go for the first week and decided not to go at all. And after that first week, my mum's like, why don't you just go anyway? Um, you know, since when do you need to wait for somebody to, you know, pursue something that you want? So she kind of, yeah, gave me the kind of courage a little bit just to go do it. And I, I was a bit hesitant because yeah, no invitation. And back then they're pretty strict on, you have to get a letter, you have to get an invitation. And, so I thought, you know what, I, I might as well um, because I didn't want to regret anything. Um, so, yeah, she she obviously encouraged me to go down and um, I, I went down and lucky enough, you know, I spoke to David Teague at the time who was a, who was the head coach at the Northern Bullants um, and Gary O'Sullivan was, was the GM and I kind of got to them and they're like, hey, mate, well, Gary O'Sullivan's like, hey, do you have a letter of invitation? Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, look, I don't have one, but just give me one session. If you don't want me, I won't come back. And David Teague overheard that conversation. He came across and he goes, oh, I respect, you know, that you obviously you want your, your kind of coming here to, to, to give yourself an opportunity to play. So he goes, just give him a session and we'll see how we go, you know. So luckily enough, I had a good, really good training session. I rocked up with no boots because um, that local footy back then at like Roxbury Park, you just literally training runners, the ground's shocking. Um, so I rocked up to VFI training at a busy park at the time with no boots, just shorts and a t-shirt. Looked like I was just a kid off the street. So they're thinking, what have we, what have we done here? But Luckily enough, I impressed them, and yeah, I've earned myself a preseason, and yeah, stayed there for three years. Is there any players that you kind of, I guess, modelled the way you played the game, or was there anyone at the club that you tried to, I guess, jump onto and learn a few things from? And we had, well, I mean, we had the similar players of Milne and Schneider, both sort of getting towards the end of their careers at the time, and did, did you sort of pick their brains a fair bit and just, and I guess, try to learn? their craft knowing sort of the the history the players had had yeah no nah, definitely those two in particular especially Milne and Schneider they were they were awesome for me especially when I first got to the club 
Um, obviously played a very similar role to them. And, you know, Milne was probably one of the best at it in terms of his crumbing and his craft around goal. Um, and even at training, when we played the same forward line and, um, you know, I'd feel like I'm just about to get this crumb and I can see it coming in my hand and it comes Milne, takes it off me or gets it that second before me. I'm thinking, mate, this guy's unbelievable. So he was someone I picked his brain a fair bit, you know, used to watch my tape with him and even Schneider as well. When the second time I got back into the Saints, Milne had retired by then. So, um, you know, those two guys played a massive role in my development and um, there were two, obviously, players that I looked up to definitely when I was at the club. Can I ask you about your coaches that you've had? Can you talk about, not rate your coaches, but talk about what the differences were in your coaches, whether it be VFL or at AFL level, what you learned from them, what you've taken with you, and yeah. and uh, those coaches that, you, in hindsight, that... Uh, if you'd listen to them a little bit harder or taking something on board, I'm really interested in your relationship with with the the coaching groups. Um, well, yeah, like I said, David Teague was a coach at the Bull Ants when I first got there, and and he was, I think, one of my favourite coaches that I had. Someone that really cared about his players and, and that relationship and um, that culture um, at the club. He kind of created a really good environment um, and someone that, like I said, I hadn't played footy for long. It was three years that I just picked up a footy. And, and it went to an VFL system and had to learn about Ford Craft when playing at Roxbury Park, Division 2, as a forward, and I was faster than everybody. I was quicker than everyone, so I could sit in the forward line, kick me the ball, and I used to just keep, focus on kicking goals, and that's all I really care about as a forward um, player back then. And then got to the Bull Ants, and he obviously taught me a lot of things that I hadn't known before about footy because um, I had only played for a short amount of time, and he said, obviously, as a small forward, these are the things that we need from you, and these are the things that you need to improve on and work on if you want to come back and play senior footy next year. Um, so he, he was he was really good for my development, someone I actually still speak to. Um, um, so he's someone that definitely helped me. And then when I got to the Saints, it was Scott Waters, had just got the job. Um, and he was someone that I got along really well with um, and I think backed me backed me in. And, in, and I think he liked the way up the style I played um, and kind of just – had confidence in me and gave me that confidence to just go out and play the way I play. And because I had, again, only played for a short amount of time, I used to play a lot on instinct. Um, yes, I understand forwards need to put pressure on and defensive pressure is so important in our game, but I had the offensive element where, you know, I could kick goals and I, I found the, I, that was kind of what I was probably better at. Um, and he backed me in and he was someone that also, when I was banned, I used to go out and we, we used to do a session a week for a while. And um, he was someone that kind of, you know, he's reached out to me while I was banned. He wasn't at the Saints then. I think he got sacked as well. But he was someone that really helped me through my band period and was a really good soundboard and mentor through that time as well. So I had a really good relationship with him. Um, and then Richo, when I first, after my band, he was obviously the coach then. Um, initially, yeah, I think we had a good relationship. And I think I, I'm not too sure if he maybe didn't like how I played or I, I, I don't know where it fell apart there because I played the first three games, four games, and then really didn't get a game after that. So obviously there's a number of things. Could have been my form, could have been, you know, whatever it is, whether maybe I just didn't suit the way he wanted me to play or whatever it is, I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, obviously that did that that kind of didn't really work out. So um because yeah, he got rid of me after that year. So they're the That's three um, kind of coaches. And then obviously lived with Grant Thomas, who was an ex St. Kilda coach, um, in my first year because I was best mate with his son, and he was someone that again, um, Probably one was my favourite mentor and someone that I, after every game I'd speak to, before every game I'd call when I was on the way, um, 
and someone that obviously, you know, took me into their house in the first year when obviously I lived too far to be able to drive to Seaford and back. It was, took me an hour and a half and, you know, obviously I was best friends with his son. So they kind of moved me into their house and, and that was awesome. And I loved living there. And I think the first year I had, I had such a good first year. And I think a lot of that credit goes to him as well, to be honest. Child number twenty eight for Grant in the house. Yeah, I was. Ch- I was. Yeah, I was. I was, <laughs> I was the thirtieth child there, so it was good. <laughs> so take us back to, I guess that that draft period. I mean, you, you had a pretty good year in in the VFL. You kicked fifty goals in twenty ten. Uh, you went into that draft combine, and like you said, you're one of the the quickest blokes there. I think you might have won the won one of the sprint um, tasks and and whatnot. Pretty good on the agility metrics and, and stuff as well. And then you get pre-selected by GWS and then traded to St Kilda. But how did all that, I guess, happen at, at your end? I mean, w- when a player gets traded like that, and it was a very unusual situation for the AFL, we hadn't had kind of pre-selections and then on trading and that sort of stuff before. So w- what was that like for you? Um, so I was actually, in, when that was going on, I was in um, Bali or Thailand for footy trip with the Bullance boys and with Tyson um, as well, who was... Uh, obviously, one of my close mates and I moved, ended up, like I said, moving into their house. And I initially, it wasn't really about GWS discussions at all. It was just more with Saints. They kind of messaged me while I was there and said, hey, my manager first messaged me saying, hey, you know, the Saints are pretty keen. They might, this is what, what might happen. And and then I, at the time, I got a message from Tony Alshaw um, saying, hey, mate, how would you like to, you know, be, be become a Saint? And um, I said, well, of course I'd love to. And I, and I had spoken to them pre-draft camp and at draft camp. So I had, that was probably my third time speaking to them. So I knew they were pretty interested. Um, and then, yeah, once I kind of got that message, I knew this could be, you know, a big opportunity to play AFL. And then I got another message within half an hour later saying, mate, well, congratulations, you know, you're now a saint. So I didn't actually know about the GWS stuff. Um, but I think all that was, was they were new, they were new AFL clubs. So they got, 10 pre-listed spots so they could pick up mature age players or players that have um, nominated for the draft previously just to give them a head start. And I think the way they used it was obviously pretty strategic where they would just pick up some players and pass them off to some clubs to get some picks and stuff like that. So I was never contacted by GWS or anything like that. Even there was a lot of hype around me going to GWS when Kevin Sheedy is all that kind of stuff. But I had never really, I spoke to him probably once, but I was never kind of a big, you know, I never spoke to them initially to go to the Saints. It was always the Saints through that trade. Now, to move on to the, as Nick mentioned before, the 18-month ban you copped, um, a, a lot of people may not realise that the drink that you were using at that time was actually as a legal product but was not allowed on game day. So how did, yeah. basically, was it was from what I heard was something to do with a sponsorship you had going at the time or something like that. And yeah, just, just take us through the, I guess the situation and how that, how we got to, how you got approached and it, it was found to be, oh, the, you shouldn't be having this on the game of day of a game. Yeah. So the, that um, protein company was one of my close mates and actually a mentor at the time. He was a senior coach at Roxburgh park when I first was there and he was someone that supported me through my whole, journey um and he obviously opened his own protein company and you know i've been i was taking it for a while um all i was doing was we were just both trying to help each other's brand um i wasn't getting paid for anything like that but i was just you know two you know friends just trying to help each other and obviously um i wasn't aware at that time that yeah there was a banned substance in there and, and as you just said then it's it wasn't like i bought it from a dodgy bloke down the road in a truck or something it was australian made it was sold in all the gyms um and the year before 
So in 2012, so 2013, that's when the ban happened, like mid-year. In 2012, you could take that pre-workout and that substance that was banned, and that actually wasn't banned that year, so you could take it on game day. It was all good. But the year after, um, it actually, you could have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner all week, but on game day, you can't obviously touch it. So I obviously wasn't aware, and, and that's probably my ignorance and my stupidity where I should have went and spoke to you know the doctor at the time and said, hey, this is what I'm taking. Can we check if it's all good? And we're educated on that. And you know, so that's my fault. I don't blame anyone for that. I don't blame my friend. I don't blame the club. That's me. You know, I put that in my system. I'm liable. So I, I never blamed anyone for it. So I obviously suffered the consequences after that, which is being banned for 18 months. Tell me, uh, just quickly on that, was the was it because it was a banned stimulant and yeah. that, that was the game day? So the, the question is, to consume just one can of it, uh, can we really expect that as a stimulant it had such a, a supreme effort? <laughs> so on that day, what was your performance like? How did you go in comparison to days when you didn't drink it? Well, like I said, I'd, I'd had it for a while, so it's not like it was the first time taking it. Um, and before that week, I was actually playing in a VFL, so I wasn't, my form wasn't that great. Um, and I just picked, got picked to play in Fremantle, and that's when I got tested that day um, after the game. And it's not like that was the first time I was taking it. So it's not like I had, after I took it for two games straight, and I was having 40 touches kicking five. Um, but it wasn't really making a big difference. And and we, I actually, when I was going through my case, we did a toxology report on you know my system to see what that would actually do in my performance and, and what it's like. And, and it didn't really, like a caffeine tablet that you can take before a game, which is legal, is as strong as that stimulant. So... Um, it's all it was was an alert, uh, it was an alert and awareness substance that that's what was banned, that stimulant. Um, and as I said, it's not like I was coming out and kicking eight and getting three brown line votes every game. So I don't think it made a big difference on my performance. It's probably something just I'll just continue to take because it was just part of my routine. I want I want to ask you a question about your 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 post career, but the transition. I mean, we we hear a lot of players uh, talking about how when their time comes up, it happens quite quickly. Do you, do you feel that the system does enough to support you when you're in it about preparing you for life after football? Because for you, it came relatively quickly uh, in comparison to players that can, you know, have a 10-year career uninterrupted. And, and obviously that that time that you were banned on reflection, may have actually contributed to obviously the the end of your career coming a bit quicker than than it would have otherwise because of that lack of continuity. So, do we help players enough? Do we have enough structures in place to support you uh, on the way out? And also now now that you've left, I I, I know that you, you've got a role at the AFL. But um, if we removed your role from the AFL itself, do we do enough to support players? post-career as well, not just in transition? Um, I think during, like I said, during while I was playing, I think the, the club and I know the AFL do a lot of work on making sure that players are doing something on their day off, whether it's a trade, whether it's, um, you know, uh, studying or, or whatever it is. And and I, and I was probably old enough when I got drafted and knew that footy wasn't going to last forever and I needed to do something while I was playing to set myself up. And, you know, I was a multicultural ambassador for the AFL um, because of my background and, and there was a program there, then I actually had my own Armored Sard squad where I developed young multicultural players and, and I was doing that on my day off and I'd go to trainings at night and be part of that one time a week. And and that was something I was really passionate about. And I thought if I could do this and set myself up, 
hopefully after my 10-year career, I could come out of it with something. So I kind of always knew that my time was going to end eventually. So I wanted to make sure I'm setting myself up. And a lot of the boys do stuff. Um, and after I got obviously delisted because I had created relationships in the AFL and I was doing that program and I had my squad and a lot of people had taken notice and I was lucky enough that a good friend in Ali Fahua who was the head of diversity um, at the AFL back then and I got a role within the diversity department and um, and then so that so that's the stuff that you get support during um, after it I didn't really get contacted much after um, AFL so lucky I had something um, and I'm not to, I'm not too sure if players continue to get that support or not um, but you know luckily I, while I was playing I kind of made sure I did something and the club I remember made sure that we were all doing something all of you know first of 30 players and even the older boys had to make sure that you are doing something on your day off to, to be able to set yourself up and to continue to promote, making sure you study, get a trade or do something. Speaking about player welfare and, and that sort of thing, you're, you're a pretty happy-go-lucky type of guy. I mean, we saw all the footage when you were playing and training, always smiling, laughing, joking. You've been smiling all night tonight while we're chatting to you. But what is that, I guess, what is that that 18-month period and that process around that, what does that do to your mental health and and what could have been done i guess to to support you more through that period um it was definitely a tough period you know like i'm a practicing muslim and um you know when when it all happened and my name was next to you know sar takes drugs and all that kind of stuff you know i was was tarnishing my family name i was only the second practicing muslim at the time bash was obviously playing but you know we represented a big community uh, and i felt like i've let that community down by all these kind of you know allegations of me taking drugs and all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't really get my story out there until after my case, just in case it kind of harmed it. So, you know, and then I got banned and, and that was a really tough time um, because I've, I worked so hard in, you know, six years. It took me from the, when I first started footy, I think it was, till, till the ban. So I was kind of, I gave it everything I had. It was an opportunity to be able to support my family. I'm not from a wealthy family, so I was be able to support them financially while I was playing um, and then my, always my, my life dream was to be an elite athlete and that got taken away from me. So it was really tough. And, you know, I, I, my religion got me through that, you know, practicing my, my religion and getting closer to my faith and, and God and stuff. That actually got me through that period. And initially it was really hard. Um, it was my first year of marriage. We just got married and I had, like the week before my wedding was my, my tribunal case. So, um, you know, I couldn't really enjoy that. So it was a tough period for my wife and I, and even my mum calling me crying and all that kind of stuff. So mentally it was tough, but I got through it because I had a really good support network um, and I had my faith that got me through that as well. So they're the two things that got me through it, my, you know, my family and my support network and mentors that I had. Um, and also, like I said, my, my faith and practicing my religion and really, um, you know, understanding that what's meant to be, you know, will be. And, um, you know, I left everything in God's hands and I did everything I could while I got banned. To, to be able to give myself an opportunity to get back. Um, and if I didn't come back, well, at least I would have been content that I gave it a crack and I worked my ass off during that off, you know, in that, in that band period to, to come back. And um, yeah, and luckily enough, I did come back, obviously not for long enough. Tell, just tell us quickly, I guess, as a, a practicing Muslim, I mean, probably a lot of our listeners probably don't know a whole lot about Islam and, and uh, the religion as, as a whole in, in general, but, Tell us a, a bit about your connection to your faith and, and I guess the connection between that and your football career. Like, how are you able to, to, to put the two together? 
Well, when I first got drafted, I was the first Muslim Egyptian to get drafted to the Saints. Um, and so I had to educate, you know, the club and educate my teammates. And, and they were all willing to learn. And the club was so supportive of my faith and, you know, made sure I had somewhere to pray because as a Muslim, you pray five times a day. And uh, I needed, you know, at the club, we spend a lot of time at the club. So I obviously needed to perform my prayers while I'm at training. And, you know, they, they gave me a place to pray and, and told me, obviously, you can pray here. I really could pray anywhere kind I wanted to, but I had a place where I could pray. When Ramadan came around and as a Muslim, we fast, you know, 30 days and it comes around each year, you know, 10 days earlier each year. And um, you fast from, you know, sunset to, sorry, sun, yeah, sunrise to sunset. So it's a kind of a long day and I had to alter my training schedule a little bit with the club, you know, speak to the high performance coach then, the dietitian, and um, they were really supportive of obviously me fasting while I'm training and, you know, come in earlier, get my weights done, leave earlier throughout the day so I can kind of get my rest. So the club was really good and the players were awesome and supportive. So I never had an issue being who I was at the club. And, and for me, that was massive, that I could still be, you know, practising Muslim at the club and not have to shy away from that. Um, so, yeah, the support from the AFL, from the club um, was, was really good. And, and because it was a way of life for me, um, I didn't want to obviously change that just because I'm an AFL player. Um, what's the main things you would probably take from the career you had into that sort of situation to pass on to um, the, the the kids that you're mentoring and that sort of thing in in the program? And at the same time, what is something you would look back and look back and if you could go back, say to yourself to maybe change this situation? Obviously, apart from the the obvious. 18 months ban, that sort of thing. But it just anything generally that you'd say to yourself, that would have been something I would have maybe changed in the time that I was there. Yeah, so um, I actually, yeah, so I work for the AFL um, and and part of my role is yeah, to manage the bachelor's programs and multicultural programs, so all the talent programs. So um, so in my role there, it's about, yeah, like you just said, mentoring those kids, uh, bringing them into our programs and making sure it's a safe environment for them. And then, you know, we focus on their football development, you know, their leadership and cultural identity. But, you know, the main thing is we use football as a vehicle to bring them in to be part of these programs and talent pathways. But ideally, we want them to be great leaders and great people in their communities, whether male or female, um, because we know that statistically they're not all going to get drafted. Um, you know, they're not all going to go play AFL, but ultimately they're all going to go be hopefully, you know, teachers or tradies or doctors and, and, and hopefully play footy. For a long time and but ideally we want them to be great people and great leaders and reflect that in their community and be able to help others and to you know gain from our programs and go and educate other people around that as well so um i love my role um and i've got an opportunity to provide you know that knowledge that i might have got in that short time playing afl to these young participants um you know and trying to help them get ready because for me i felt like i wasn't ready when i got to afl because not age-wise but more being an elite athlete, what that, what that, what does that take? Um, as I said, I played footy at a short, you know, started footy late. By the time I got around to playing AFL, I still was learning my craft. I still was learning how to be an elite athlete. Then I got that ban, and like you said, that kind of derailed my development a little bit in my second year. Missed my third year. I came back, you know, in the fourth, but really that was only my second and a half continuing on. So uh, that definitely played a part in shortening my career, but. What I can help provide these kids is teach them what it's like to be an elite athlete, treat them like that through our program so that when they do play NAB League or VFL and hopefully AFL, that they're prepared and they know what's to come because it is cutthroat. You know, you've got to be disciplined. You need to sacrifice. You need to be resilient. 
Um, you need to be, you know, mentally tough as well because it's a tough environment and it comes with a lot of pressure. So we try to teach them all that, but also focusing on, you know, their leadership skills and their cultural identity as well. I think I could speak on behalf of anyone that's listening to you speak right now and say how lucky we are to have you in that role, mate, because uh, your enthusiasm and, and as Nick said before, your 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 uh, good humour and approach to life is not only refreshing, but it's something that is is badly needed as a reminder for all of us to to focus on what is important uh, and what we can do and help. So, for me, just thank you to you for what you do, and and um, of course, uh, when I grew up, it was always wog this, wog that when I was at school. <laughs> And so, you know, it's really important that you can show show young kids of uh, a non-Anglo background that they have the opportunity to be successful as well. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Funnily enough, I guess, but before we finish up, for a, a football podcast, we actually haven't spoken a lot about football <laughs> and, and your actual time at St Kilda, but I mean... It, for, for as short as it was, there were some there were some pretty good moments. I mean, there were you know, multiple bags of, of multiple goals, you know, three and, and four. Um, you averaged a, a goal and a half a game over your, your 30 games or 33 games, I think it was. But is is there is there a moment or yeah, you know, a, a series of moments that sticks out to you as your your favorite part of, of that part of your life? Um, well, yeah, playing you know, obviously training and being part of the club and stuff like that, that's awesome. But, yeah, I think anyone or any kid, when they think about playing footy it's, or being an elite athlete, it's playing in front of a crowd, you know, re- representing your club, playing with your teammates, you know, doing it on the big stage. And for me, I love that part. I love being able to play and perform. Um, and obviously when you win a game in front of – like I remember my first two, three games, I couldn't sleep at night because of my, the adrenaline. I could just hear the crowd still when I was trying to go to sleep and – I was almost addicted to that drilling and rush and I just wanted to get to the next game and hopefully I played good enough to play. But I just wanted to get to that next game to be able to get in front of the crowd again and play for my team and, and hopefully win. Um, and as a forward, mate, kicking goals and celebrating in the crowd and stuff, that's always awesome as well. And obviously a couple of goals that are still stick out to me, but um, as I said, just being able to play um, AFL level on the G or something like that, mate, that was, that's for me was, was awesome. And uh, what's your connection with the club like these days? You... Still in contact with a few of the players? Do you get along to the games still? Do you, you do you watch every game on TV sort of thing? What, what's your sort of level that you're at these days? Um, I haven't – not a lot of con- um, connection still to the club. Besides, yeah, I still obviously support them and, and watch them on TV. I don't, haven't been to a lot of games. I haven't been to a lot of games in general. Um, I still play footy um, and two young sons as well, so I don't really get around to many games. Uh, but I still, I still watch them. I uh, don't really talk to a lot of the guys. Still, obviously, have them on social media and stay in contact that way. But um, besides maybe Tom Curran, um, who he's probably the only one I kind of really stay in touch with, and we might catch up um, when we're around each other and stuff. But other than that, really not much connection. Um, besides, like I said, supporting it, and then obviously I'm going to obviously raise my sons to be Saints supporters, um, and and hopefully you know one day they can they can play for the Saints and they're good enough. Um, but I'll definitely, once they get a little bit old, I'll definitely be taken to games and stuff like that because I definitely want them to be immersed in that, obviously, in, in the club and, and understand that that's where their dad played. And I'm really proud of that. Yes, it was only 33 games, but I'm really proud to say that I played at AFL and, you know, my kid can break for a team that he, his dad played for. So for me, that, that's I'm pretty proud of that. Well, Ahmed, it may have only been 33 games, but it was peppered with 
I guess, highlights and lowlights, uh, two goal <laughs> of the year nominations in your first year. Um, and, you know, that's 33 more games than any of us on this show have ever played. So, uh, mate, thank you for your contribution to our footy club. Thanks for coming on the show. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Ahmed Saad there, and really enlightening, uh, impressive man, Ahmed Saad. That was uh, it was great to chat to Ahmed. Uh, I guess we put an eye towards Sydney uh, this weekend, Sunday afternoon at Marvel. They beat us by fifty-one points only a couple of months ago at the SCG, and they're flying now. They're fighting for a top four spot, currently in second, equal on points with Melbourne, Brisbane, and Collingwood. Obviously, the the Lions and, and the D's play each other in Queensland on Friday night. The Pies take on the Blues at the G. But the equation for Sydney is pretty simple. Win and they are in the top four. H, what do you see as the changes this week with Crouch and Webster out? We've seen on the club website, they've nominated Josh Battle, obviously Dan Hanabry to come back potentially. Uh, Bytel, Burns, Connolly, etc., and, and Jones, who was the Medi-sub, obviously on uh, on the weekend. You hope that maybe, well, Battle comes back. He, he, we, we didn't miss him so much in the back line the week gone, I don't think, but he he gives us that flexibility of um, being able to move a couple of other players around where we want them sort of thing. And it, it, they've got a pretty potent forward line, Sydney, so we're kind of going to need a player who can play on a big forward, play on a small forward. Is the, is the player who we're able to just sort of throw at, okay, get on them. They're, they're the player we need to focus on. And, he could probably hold, uh, step onto a buddy for a little bit if we need, if someone's not, uh, like, say, Dougal's down for a moment or something, or he can jump to a Papley if Papley's running right all of a sudden. He's, he's got that flexibility to just be able to fill in where we need him. So um, is Wayne Malira in a position to be playing? Because, as we were saying before, he'd be someone that I'd like to see come back this week. Mm. I, I haven't heard uh, anything saying he's not available. No. But if he is, I think he should be coming back. Um, just just get that bit of pace on Sydney. They're, they're, they're still that not fast team. They're, they're not a quick, quick team. They've, they've picked up a bit over the last year or so with a few of the recruits that they've... They'll move out of the back line a little bit quick, but they, they like the inside, hard, tough ball most of the time. So if we move away from that pack quickly, then, then and we'll get that run from Clark. We get the run from Wangane Malira just, just to clear it out of that area where they like the congestion and that sort of thing. So it's, um, yeah, if, if he's available, I'd be bringing him back in. And, um, I mean, Jones, yeah, I don't know. Is, is he any better than a medical sub at the moment. That's, I mean, he, he got out there on, on the weekend after Webster went down and threw himself around a bit, but it wasn't a massive contribution from him. But I mean, at the same time, it's against the old team. Does he, yeah, does he, does he lift a bit against the old team? And I mean, as, a, as we're saying, we have, we pretty much have to win by a hundred points for any to 
to even be a chance of making finals. Um, so it, it's one of those games where we've just got to throw, throw everything at whatever we can and hope for the best possible result. But the absolute dream, I guess. But it's yeah, it's a matter of let let let's. It's almost a practice for next year. Get get the team that we think will be best from what's available to run into next year. First so round. Yeah, they're not the the quickest team. You're right, H. They're not the quickest team in terms of leg speed, but in terms of footy smarts, footy IQ, and the way that they move the ball, their ball movement, they're they're right up there. And I I actually think that they're they're in that top two or three teams in, in terms of the flag. I know people are talking about uh, obviously Melbourne and Geelong as the two kind of almost fate accomplished to, to to play off in in the grand final. But I think Sydney can can give this a real shake. But uh, Phil, like H said. If we win by 100 points, anything's possible. You're on record as saying we're still a chance. So what do you want to see out of this weekend? So uh, anything less than Jack Bytel coming in for Crouch is just utterly, utterly ridiculous, right? So No, no farewell Bytel, game for Dan Hanabry, potentially? Bytel has to come in, right? There's no, there is no sentiment for playing Hanabry as a, a farewell game if he does retire, uh, at the expense of someone like Bytel. Sorry. Um, Connolly, right, this kid showed plenty in the last few rounds of last season and he had an injury-interrupted preseason and for whatever reason uh, he hasn't done what the coaches have asked of him in order to be promoted, but at some point, there are, and there, are, I've seen this in sport. There are some players that play well anywhere that they play, and there are other players that uh, perform at the higher level when they're given that opportunity. If Battle comes back straight into the team, Sharman needs to play forward. I don't know how many times I need to say this before someone listens uh, within the, the coaching group. Uh, Connolly comes in. Personally, I'd be playing Connolly uh between mid and and half forward, uh, just obviously to to give him some opportunities to show what he can do as well, and it's against a, an amazing team as you said, Nick. Right, this Sydney outfit, they are they are the professionals of the professionals, and we just need to uh, have a crack. And you know, uh, they often say. Um, on, on the TV coverage on Fox Footy, um, Nick Rewald and the others, you know, better to go down by 10 goals uh, trying things than to have an honourable loss of 15 points. And, you know, I, I have tongue-in-cheek said that we're still a chance. So does that mean we're still a chance? Uh, yeah, and we're, we are still a chance. So, you know, without jumping into that so St Kilda, uh, because I know that we're drawing to a close, my that's so St Kilda this week is that uh, uh, Collingwood beat uh, Carlton by 57 points. We need to win by 51 points and we're, we're 56 points up and some some Sydney player gets the ball, probably Paddy McCartan, I think it was suggested by uh, Michael on on, uh, on Twitter. Paddy McCartan gets the ball from 53 out, kicks it from 56 and dobs it through the goal to see us miss out by one point percentage in making the finals. That that would be so St Kilda. H, while we're on that so St Kilda, do you want to uh, you want to give us yours? 
I think it's pretty much exactly the same as what Parco sent through us before to, before we started tonight. And yeah, Crouch being suspended for hitting a player who didn't even leave the field to have an assessment. The the, the um doctors didn't even think it was needed to test him. He got straight back up and kept playing. And then we see um two weeks ago, Cripps, I mean, yes, the tribunal suspended him, but then he gets off on through the courts and um Archie's gonna miss the second week. So Cripps has come and played two games while Archie's missed two games. Mm. And if we go back even further to Paddy Ryder playing statues in the middle of the MCG and getting suspended. So it's it's we just seem to have copped the rough end of it this year. It's and I don't know whether we feel like we do it every year, but as I've I've been saying, I think there needs to be a bit of a change in the tribunal system. Um, yeah, the I don't know if um, Michael Christian's still well. I was going to say, still doing as good a job as he was. I don't know whether he's really done a good job since he started, but yeah, it's a, it just seems to be so inconsistent and there seems to be a few favourites and that sort of thing that just, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm still wondering if his hate for us goes back to Danny Frawley belting him at Victoria Park that day. I'm, I'm not, not 100% certain. So yeah, the uh, the the system is broken. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and maybe we'll keep that for for a, an off season, post season topic of discussion. The uh, the tribunal system and, and MRO and all that sort of stuff. But my um, my that's so secure. I'm going back to Parco again. Uh, separate topic. But he tweeted uh, after the game on Friday night. Never been a more appropriate way for the Saints season to end. There for the taking, and they miss six set shots in a row. Game over. I mean, that is about as St Kilda as you can get. And I know we're talking about this, you know, 0.1% chance in the hundred point turnaround that we need to to sneak that final spot in the eight. But I mean, let's be honest. We've we've had our chances. We've had our chances over the last eight weeks to solidify a spot in the eight, and we haven't taken any of them. Um, and you know, game over is uh, is a good way of putting it. Um, I guess some other talking points before we finish up with the 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 standard, I guess, podcast awards. Uh, Windhager, obviously, as we've touched on, the, the Rising Star nomination. Finally, is the first St Kilda Rising Star nomination since round 12, 2020, which was Max King. Uh, we've spoken about King's goal kicking, obviously. I don't think we need to talk about that anymore. But Hannah Bree, as we record this podcast on Wednesday evening, there's been some talk. Uh, around the socials, Tom Brown's been reporting that Dan Hannery's set to announce his retirement in the coming days. Uh, I guess just quickly, H and Phil, your take on uh, on Dan Hannery's career year. Um, should he play on another year or should he not? Tom Brown, Tom Brown reporting that obviously means there's three more years in him. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just he, he's been truly unlucky since he got to us uh, that's the only thing you could say it's quality his playing. record his playing record at sydney was nothing short of amazing he, he almost didn't miss a match for them and all of a sudden he's coming along to us and these injuries have just decimated him. um you see two weeks ago when he played and the way our midfield 
rotated and worked together and he, he was out there keeping him organized that the, the the football brain he's got is brilliant and it's just unfortunate he, his body's let him down over the last few years and it's robbed us as well it's it's robbed the team of a a very very good footballer so yeah, it's unfortunate i mean if it is the end it, that's that's where it it's fallen short of what we really expected. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's really no fault of his own to, uh, for what's happened. So I'd give him one more year. Uh, I reckon that if you drafted some kid at pick 76, uh, well, I mean, what, what, what pick did Matt Allison come in? 26, and, uh, 26. 26. Yeah. And he, he's as far away from, uh, a senior spot as I am from being the Cleo Bachelor of the Year, given I've been married <laughs> for eighteen years, and uh, you know, you think that's I just, what you think that's what's keeping you from being Cleo Bachelor of the Year—the fact that you're married. Clearly, that's the only thing, Nick, and uh, I, I won't hear you uh, suggest <laughs> otherwise. But uh, you know, I, I just think that if he's on minimal money, uh, and we give him one more year to 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 see, I think we lose nothing. But, you know, the irony of that, uh, and H mentioned his record, but when we recruited Brad Crouch, he had uh, averaged 11 games per season for the four years prior to coming over from Adelaide. And I thought, my God, we're, we're, uh, we're bringing somebody over whose injury record is not flash, and yet he's been as durable as anyone and uh, played some amazing football. And I think that what what that demonstrates, what that shows is when you get somebody that's got that elite talent, uh, they do add to the program. And absolutely, I echo everything H said again, when he was out on that field a couple of weeks back, marshalling the troops, telling people which patterns to run, where to go, and then using his disposal with pretty good efficiency, not 100%, but he would have been over 80%, I would have thought, uh, you know, we, we've missed that for the four years that he's not been able to get onto the park. So do you judge Do you judge it uh, on the raw numbers? If you do, you say it's been an absolute uh, failure. But uh, at the same time, I, I just quite wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater just one more year. You're you're only saying that because I owe you a sandwich if, uh, if he gets one more year. And I, I swear it's not happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but look, Dan Hanbury. Sorry, sorry, over, just just for, for everybody out there, not just any old sandwich. We're not talking about like some ham, cheese, and pickles that you slap together uh, from the local deli. We're talking about Saul's sandwiches. And if you don't know what Saul's sandwiches are, check them out. Go down, get one, and that will be the best thing I've said on this podcast tonight. And and tell them that you heard about them from us because hopefully we could get a sponsorship out of it. That'd be great. Just some some free sandwiches, which means I wouldn't have to buy you one anyway, Phil. <laughs> um, but look, I, yeah, look, it's a, it's a really tough one. It's a, it's a really divisive subject, isn't it? Because at his best, when he's fit and healthy, he's elite. And you you said it, H. I mean, his career at Sydney was elite. The his awards, his accomplishments, um, the, the things that he was able to achieve over those years in Sydney. Um, I mean, he was an incredible player. Uh, and you know, we were hoping that we were going to get that player and it hasn't worked out. And, you know, we had Nathan Freeman on the show last week. We had Darren Minchington on a couple of couple of weeks ago. You know, all of this goes to show you, you mentioned Brad Crouch uh, a minute ago, Phil. There is so much that you can control in 
the game of football, but there is also so much that you cannot control. And unfortunately, we've we've hit the uh, the wrong end of the stick in, in that case with with Dan Hannery. But there are plenty of other examples when things have turned out right for whatever the player or, or team. And unfortunately, we just haven't got it this time. I think in the case of giving him another year, I think if if the deal was something like absolute minimum wage, rookie list or whatever rookie contract, etc., base payment plus any match payments and and bonuses, etc., then I think that that's probably a fair deal because then you're talking apples and apples with bringing in a rookie with pick 77. Um, anything more than that, and I think that we can't we can't afford to to keep messing around with with this type of stuff. And and you know we've made mistakes before. I'm not saying that recruiting him was a mistake. That's a topic for a, another a conversation for another another day. But um, you know we're at a we're at a really vital phase of our football clubs history and development, I guess, where we've got to start doing the right things. And I think sometimes when you get to these um, forks in the road, you, you've got to make hard decisions. We've made we've made hard decisions before. Uh, we just heard from Ahmed Saad and we you know, had to make hard decisions on him twice. Um, yeah, and I think that potentially we've done our dash with, with Dan Hanabry, um, unless the deal is incredibly worth it for us as a football club time for our weekly awards the uh jason blake award h someone who doesn't get as much recognition as they deserve what have you got oh i'd have to go our best on ground this week mason wood he's starting to get the plaudits he probably deserves starting to um it's a sort of game that's going to make a few people just sort of go oh okay maybe he's not not so bad and he's he's been a bit of a a little bit of a whipping boy this year it seems despite the fact he's been reasonably consistent for us but yeah from what we saw on the weekend i mean you couldn't fault him any stage on the night and yeah that's the sort of performance i guess if he puts a few more in like that he might start winning winning a lot more fans than what he currently has well i gave mason with three votes so i'm not going to give him another award uh, I'm going back to uh, my old favourite, Seb Ross. You got to give us some give us some context. Well, I, he just keeps doing it. He is he is without a doubt, along with Jack Billings, the most maligned player on our list. Uh, people have a crack at him and Billings every time they open their mouths uh, or uh, or uh, become keyboard warriors. And I just want to make sure that we are absolutely paying homage to the work that Seb Ross has done because, as I said uh, earlier in, in the show, his year this year has probably been his best since he came to the club and just want to honour and respect the work that he's done to get there because I still don't think he gets the plaudits that he deserves. Very well said. I've gone Jared Linett. Uh I agree with everything both of you have said about both of those guys, actually, but uh, I'm going to go Jared Lynott. I think that... He is a very, very underrated part of our lineup, and I think that we we play football better when he's in it. Um, he he doesn't do anything incredibly well. He's not elite at anything, but he's he's good at a lot of different things, and he can fill gaps and fill holes for us in a number of ways. And he's done that a number of times this year. Phil, why are you looking at me like that? Because I think that just as I acknowledge that Sebros, I have a bit of a man crush on him. I think you just need to come out and just say that you have a bit of a crush, a man crush on uh, on Jared Lynott. 
I've said all year that I thought that our pickup of Jared Lyon was a very shrewd investment, and that I was very happy with it from day one. So um, that's all. That's I think that's all I need to say. Shannon Noll, who needs to lift outside of you, old man Phil? <laughs> See, that's not fair that you get in with uh, an attack on me like that because clearly I was going to suggest you need to lift Splitter. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, clearly uh, the chairman of selectors needs to lift. And they need to put Leo Connolly in the team, Jack Bytel in the team. They need to put Sharman up forward. Uh, they need to try and get a bit of structure. And speaking of structure, uh, I don't know uh, Brendan Laid from a, a, a jar of salt, but uh, clearly uh, our forward line has not worked properly this year, uh, either in attack or when we've attempted to try and keep the ball in defensively. And so... Maybe, just maybe, along with the chairman of selectors, Brendan Laid needs to lift as well. H? It's, it's a tough one this week because I, I had a few players I was looking at going, is it going to be, a, 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 I guess, a last chance or something to put themselves forward this year or something like that? But I've gone with Hunter Clark. I just feel like... He, he's back. He's got a few games under his belt now. I just want to start seeing that form that he had before he got those injuries and just, just seeing that skill that he shows and the poise. And he seems to have been a bit rushed um, in the game since he's come back this year. And the, his disposal has shown, shown that. He's struggled to hit some targets. He's struggled to, I guess, find the space and the good positions and... Just love to see him lift and get back to where he was because he, he was a huge reason why we were starting to look good. And he could be a, a, one of those reasons that we come back next year and, yeah, really pick up from, I guess, pick up from where we, our first half of the season was going this year. I've gone almost the entire football department. And, and it's not a knock on Brett Ratton, although he's certainly a, a big part of the football department. I, I still think that he's the right man to lead this team. But there seems to be some sort of dysfunction between our our football department and what they're saying off the field and what's happening on the field, uh, whether it's in terms of forward structure and, and how the ball gets delivered forward, whether it's around Max King and his goal kicking and the the coaching options and and training options and the people that are putting their hand up to give him a, uh, to, to give him a, a help you know, outside of the club and, and the messaging around that um I just think that something is something is broken at worst and just dysfunctional at best at the moment and I'm not sure what it is that that needs fixing but something needs fixing in there and and uh you know I think that we're going to have you know a really important six months to try and get a lot of these things right. Uh, coaching department, assistant coaches, line coaches, etc., are going to be a really important part of what happens. Word of of Lenny Hayes coming back to the footy club after a couple of years out of coaching is is, is positive, but you know we don't know where his head his head's at and and you know what he's been doing for the last couple of years and is that the right choice? Um, a lot of question marks around our footy department and and what happens moving forward post. I guess this weekend, um, but uh, I guess we'll see. But I think the the footy department as a whole, uh, from the coach to head of football to the captain to the players on the on the field and everyone uh, that plays in the twos, I think everybody has to lift, and and that's just a reality of our game. If we want to be a legitimate 
finals contender and premiership threat, everybody has to lift. But for now, we look towards Sydney. Uh, they are the professionals' professionals, as you said, Phil. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Uh, Bloods culture exists for a reason, uh, and they are one of the most professional organisations in uh, sports in this country. In fact, I, w- I would probably put it in the world. Uh, they're an incredible organisation. They're playing some bloody good football at the moment. So it's going to be tough, but there is a 0.001% chance that we win by 100 points or we win by 50 and others lose by 60 and we scrape in, but uh, I wouldn't bank on it. But for now, go Saints. Go Saints.